With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the MMQB Pod. Albert, what is that, a drink in your hand? Put that down. Don't throw that at me. Just kidding. Uh, Cotter Orr here. Albert Breer here. Um, it is the Tuesday We're going after right years. there, all right off the bat, huh? <laughs> oh, baby. Yeah, this was... I'm ready um, to roll on that one. I'm ready to oh roll. Oh, my God. All right, so... Um, we are so we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Hope everybody had a happy new year. I know Albert's thrilled that uh, Michigan is in the national championship game. Well, um, I will I've been, make. I've been, I was lowered to being an Alabama fan for a few weeks, and now God, how did that feel? It, weird and like I, I, my buddy who you know, one of my fraternity brothers happens to live down the street from me, so we watched the game together. He. Uh, bought Alabama hoodies and Alabama jerseys for us. Um, and so like yesterday I was in the supermarket picking up some snacks for the game or whatever. And uh, I got like a roll tide from someone in the supermarket That's and I amazing. responded and I responded roll tide and it felt dirty. Like I'm not oh. even kidding. Like for all the like kind of like stuff that I've said the last few weeks about it, like when someone said roll tide to me and I responded roll tide it definitely felt dirty. So now I guess I got to learn like what I think it's bow down, right? Is that what Washington is? Something like bow that. Bow down. Okay. I think it's bow down. Yeah. For, uh, you know, the play on the Huskies and dogs, whatever. But yeah. So, oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Bow down, I think is what they say. I Being a post Saban Alabama fan just feels like you are incapable of experiencing any pain and you just want to cut right to the front of the line. Like I... I went to school with someone who I know for a fact had nothing to do with Alabama. And now, like, you see pictures of their kids all decked out in Alabama gear and, like, they're going to the SEC title game. And I was like, where does this come from? You so like, I'm, I'm from Pennsylvania. Those. I'm from the, Pennsylvania. Like, there are terms for those in the Midwest, you know. So. In like so in, in Ohio, they call them Big Bear Buckeyes, right? Because Big Bear is a uh, is a supermarket chain there, 
And they've got like the off-brand Ohio State stuff for sale there. So they call those Big Bear Buckeyes. And I know in Michigan, the people who didn't <laughs> go to school there who root for Michigan, they call them Walmart Wolverines. So Big Bear Buckeyes and Walmart Wolverines. <laughs> but what is it called when you're from Pennsylvania and you're obsessed with Alabama? Like, I, I and it's just, it has to, like, you've no <laughs> yeah, connection that's to the like, school. You've never been to the South, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. I mean, does that does that person also root for like the Yankees and the Cowboys and the probably Lakers? you know but like how, <laughs> yeah, how is that Lakers. how is that an enjoyable how is that an enjoyable thing like you check in at the bar you know with your LeBron jersey right after the yeah. with the Lakers and it's just like oh yeah I'm totally in on this like we're in a Lakers are you Jack Jack well, Nicholson just like the, or Jack it's, Nich- it's, Jack it's Nicholson. also like just from a fan standpoint it's like the emotional investment you know what I mean like. I legitimately felt yesterday like I was watching an Ohio State game because the rivalry is that important to me, you know? Yeah. And if you're not like if you don't have that level of investment in it, I don't know. I mean, like I watch so I like I've got a, I guess a unique experience cuz for my job I watch things like in a totally non-biased like just 50,000 foot view or whatever and then the college games, I'm like really emotional and, and 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 into and all of that, like in a different way, you know. And uh, I just don't know how you'd. Ha- it feels like you'd halfway that if you were just kind of like cherry picking teams, right? Yeah. What like what's the point of watching? I mean, I kind of get my itch scratched now because um, you know fantasy football in a way, right? And so I feel momentarily yeah. invested in a handful of players. But back when I used to be obsessed with Notre Dame as a kid, there was that yeah. energy. And yeah, if you just decide one day that you're an Alabama fan because they've won nine national championships right. in a row, like it, it can't be fun I mean, for you. I think a huge part of being a fan is that sky is falling thing. Yeah. Like, I think we all have that. And every fan base thinks that's unique to them. You know what I mean? Like every single fan base thinks like the something bad's about to happen to us feeling that you get watching games is like unique to them. But I think everybody's got it, you know, like even an Alabama fan, right? Like, so Ohio state, we had a lot of good things happen to us over the last 20 years, but I was in school during like the Cooper years. You know what I mean? When bad things did happen. Sure. And so like, I think every fan base has that, like an Alabama fan, like the person who is rooted for them for 40 years had some like really legitimately like lean years before Saban. So they probably have that, right? Like and that fan doesn't have that sky is falling like like thing that is like such a huge part of being a fan, you know? And it's got to like, I, I'm sorry, but it's got to suck to be an Alabama fan, whether you've been an Alabama fan for 40 years or for nine months, like uh, some of my friends on Instagram, apparently. But, um, <laughs> it, you know, now the entire fan base is so spoiled and yeah. so like petulant now that this seems like a disappointment to lose in the semifinals well, to Michigan. You know, I resemble that remark because I, I, I know that feeling, too, like not to the degree they do, but. The one thing that's sucked that's been taught like and this is like a champagne problem, but one thing that's tough about being an Ohio State fan is like one one loss like ruins your season. Like so you can't have a successful season. Like if you lose a game, you know? Like I this would, was a this was a terrible season for for, for, for me. They were eleven and oh like a month and a half ago. <laughs> like, you know, like it's just it's it is what it is. And that's that's sort of the makeup of college football though, too, you know? Yeah. Which might change now because it's going to be a lot easier to get in the playoff. I'm I'm with Dabo Swinney. Like he like unleashed on someone who called into his radio show, and he's like, "What is wrong with you? Like I've won, <laughs> I've won a national championship at Clemson. Like have you seen this place? 
And then like, you know, okay, I went like nine and three this year. Like Ugh. go to hell. You're complaining, you, but do you follow message board geniuses on Twitter? No, I need to though. It um, is the best. I mean, I, it is legitimately the best account. I mean, it is so good. Like the best stuff is like the in-game tweeting when, when like everyone's getting fired in the second quarter of a game on a message board, you know, but it's uh anybody who doesn't know, I, I believe it's at board geniuses, but it's fantastic. There was the guy who famously at Alabama was so excited when the team got to a tongue of Iloa, but wondered if there was a, anyone on the staff that would be able to speak his language. And Tua <laughs> is from Hawaii. So um, I think they, he thought that Hawaii spoke just like just like there was no English in Hawaii. Didn't, and, we, have uh, somebody, did, didn't we have somebody recently talk about like the, the language barrier in the UK? I think, I think <laughs> like, I'm... God bless know. us all. I, I um, thought we had I thought we had somebody recently bring up the language barrier in the UK, which is always a fun one. Good lord. Um so yeah, I mean my only note on Alabama Michigan was uh I I really do think like <laughs> if if the Connor Stallions thing came out today and you played the final drive for Alabama, the the final play call, I don't know if it was bad or not, the snap was bad on yeah. on Alabama's final play but there was like a play two or three plays before that where the jump off on the the Michigan D lineman got and was in the yeah. backfield like I, I if the Connor Stallions thing came out tomorrow <laughs> I'd be like okay that guy knew that guy's either really good or he knew exactly yeah. what was coming you know yeah. um which was kind of funny um I think but, Connor Stallions it there are rumors that Connor Stallions was there either that or Chase Winovich is um, is trolling everybody because I think on his Instagram there was a a picture where he tagged Connor Stallions and the guy pictured like sitting next to him in the stands sort of looked like him. So oh my god, which would be a great lighter to all of this too. Hired Connor Stallions. Talk about the NFL head coaching carousel. That guy's got a manifesto. He's got passion. Yeah. Um, my my favorite thing about that story though is it just tears down like that higher ground. Like now maybe they get a championship out of it. We'll see. And then they can put the banner where they can, where they, wherever they keep those like final four banners from the Fab Five. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, like I, I think uh, that was my favorite. My favorite thing has been like that moral high ground that they they've occupied forever, which was the reason why they weren't winning in a lot of years. Um, now it doesn't exist anymore. So that's a cheat. plus from this year. Like you, you gotta cheat. Um, yeah. Well, okay. I, there's no clean transition here, but I'm just going to start by saying to David Tepper throwing a drink <laughs> yeah. on a fan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean he's going to have to cheat to get a head coach. I I will say this. So <sighs> I I I I didn't talk to many people about this around mm -hmm. the league, but I think that the feedback that I got today, or you know, yesterday was just like, did you see that? You know, yeah. and and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, he's still going to get somebody good because he's going to pay for it and there's 32 of these jobs and this off season there's only yeah what there's going to be like four openings you know um it but, sounds like the numbers like it just feels like the numbers dwindling again yeah. you know yeah the saints i think are going to hold on to dennis allen the falcons are going to hold on to um art smith and so and the raiders might hold on to antonio pierce if he has a good last yeah. week you know yeah. um so anyway you know, he's going to get somebody good. And in three months, we're going to talk, be, you know, we're going to move on from it because the cycle moves on from it. But, you know, for those who didn't see at the end of this blowout loss to the Jaguars, he essentially Tepper looks like he has like cleared his uh, plastic cup on a Jaguars fan who was kind of in the uh, um, it was an open air uh, suite kind of situation. Yeah, it looked like Jackson. it was one of those with the windows that you can open, right? Like where you just 
slide the window open. He yeah. made the mistake of having the window open. Um, but <laughs> it's so funny because I've read a couple of situations where fans who throw drinks onto players, every time that has happened in the last five years, those fans have been banned for life from the stadium. <laughs> yep. Um, if the Jaguars as they should were, be, by the way. As they should be. And if the Jaguars were really funny, they would ban David Tepper for life from Everbank or whatever That's the a, hell that Have you like said that anywhere publicly? That would no. be is that in your Wouldn't column that be from funny, the other day though? or anything? That no, would be great. But that would be so funny. If they just issued randomly like just issued a press release like they, today. Like they put after his, a thorough investigation. <laughs> <laughs> we found who did this and no, but and then they put like just his picture on like a bunch of wanted posters outside the stadium and it's like caution, yeah. do not let this man in. <laughs> yeah. But so what what I wrote and what I do feel is true is I do think we're at sort of a tipping point with the power balance in the NFL. I think the owners have left this thing on autopilot for long enough where the officiating is in a crisis level. Like the league is not in a good place. I don't think it's a healthy atmosphere. And so you get to this point where here's an owner, here's the symbol of power in the NFL, just just tossing a drink at somebody like a medieval king. And then all of a sudden, you know, the NFL is just not going to comment on it for four days. Like we're at Tuesday at 1209 as we're taping this. The Carolina Panthers have not said anything. The NFL has only said they're aware of the video. And you know that they're working with Tepper in the background to be like, okay, how much can you afford? Let's just no, donate 5 I mean, million. Like, I think you know? at this point, I mean, don't you think at this point we can, we can safely assume that at this point we can safely assume that Tepper doesn't want to say anything. Because if well, he did, he would have. Well, right? if he wanted to defend himself, like if he had, you know, and again, I, I'll let me backtrack and say, I'm sure this guy was not just like being like, hey, David, you're the best, you know, and then David yeah. just threw a drink at him. It was probably profane. You know, it was probably, you know, let's p- put both of these guys in a parking lot and make one of them not the owner of the Panthers. Okay, you have a fight. All right. I get it. It's totally, I've been to NFL games. I've sat in the stands before. Yep. I understand what that sounds like. But. If you're the owner of an NFL team, forget about the example that it sets for the rest of your employees, but like the NFL needs to do something to him. They cannot not like, I mean, but I think it has to be beyond a fine. I really do. Like I, I just, I, I, here's the thing. Like they now have a history of not doing anything. Right. Right. Like they did something with Ursay, right. But did they do anything with Kraft? No. No. Did they do anything with Haslam for the, you know, rebate scandal? No. I mean, the Haslam thing is still happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just like you look at it and it's like, I remember all those years ago, they told us like owners will be held to a higher standard. I mean, they needed to be dragged through the mud from a PR standpoint to do anything about Daniel Snyder. Right. <sighs> and I just think like it's, I think it's the ultimate example of there's difference between owners and renters. Right. All of us who don't run our own business, we're renters, you know, yeah. and the owners make the rules. And it's like, it kind of makes me think back to, um, I don't know if you, have you heard the text Ram story before? I don't know. So he's the old Cowboys owner, yeah. right? And I think this was like during one of the strikes, like maybe like the 82 strike or whatever. But the old story goes that, you know, they're in a, like the some NFL people are in a, in a, in a negotiating meet, negotiation with uh, the NFLPA, and there's a meeting that gets heated. And Tex Schramm, who's the president of the Cowboys, I believe at the time, basically says something along the lines of, you boys don't understand. You're the cattle and we're the ranchers. 
And <laughs> I mean, a imagine if somebody said that to, to like now and it got out. You well, know like what, I mean? like, what it, uh, the uh, McNair from the Titans basically right. said that like two years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It was and, bad. Like, like, and, and B, it like is a window into the way they think. You know what I mean? And I, I just and I, our producer Shelby might be correcting me on this. He that he said it to something like that to Dorset. It was it was something around one of these situations, and it's like they give us these little windows into the way they think, right? And you know, part of it is like, you know, my house, my rules, right? And so, you know, like I, I don't know if we can expect more from from David Tepper than what we've gotten. And, you know, like to me, like there are two things here that I, I think are really kind of, I would say, make it worse, right? Number one, he's not saying anything. And if he doesn't say anything by tomorrow, then he's going to leave his locker room, which is going through a really tough year. And his coaching staff, which is led by an interim coach at this point, to answer for his actions. Like, how crappy is that? Mm-hmm. Right? You're just hiding, and you're not letting. You're, 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 you did something. You did something that wasn't like really. There wasn't a wasn't that there, there really wasn't you know like necessary. You can say it was prompted, but you know you have to. If you're an NFL owner, you got to be able to be above that. And now you're leaving your employees to answer for it, right? So that's the first thing. And then, you know, the second thing is like it basically touches every base as far as like who this guy's been made out to be over the last few years, right? Yeah. yeah. Power hungry, aggressive, angry, like all of that stuff, right? Overbearing. Like if you had a caricature of David Tepper, based on how he's been as an NFL owner over the last six seasons, it's a guy who would throw a drink out of a suite, right? right. Like, and yeah. so that's the other part that's tough for him. It's like, he basically more or less confirmed like what everyone thinks of him by throwing that drink. I think the easy fix here would have been without question. You, you know, cause the game's over. There's like two minutes left. Okay. By the time all the reporters and everybody get to the locker room, everyone knows that this has happened. It's on social media. You know you did it. Why not just pull a Jerry Jones and be standing outside the locker room? Because your players don't want to talk anyway after getting their doors blown off. Stand right. out there and just be like, hey, guys, I did this. No excuse. You know, um, I'm going to try to find who he is. We're, and and we're going to go. We're going to go hash this out. You know, my bad. But it just like... It's such an NFL thing to allow this to compound and then make this into like a four day story. And I, I honestly just I think well, it's that, like the whole plan, too, is probably just to let the next shiny object appear. Right. And then blind everybody to the fact that he still hasn't said anything. My take, though, is like and I get the Jerry Jones philosophy, right, that there's no publicity that's bad publicity. But we mm-hmm. are at such a point. Like, I mean, we had a security guard on the field, like, you know, shoving someone this year. Like, we are so close to World Wrestling Entertainment. 
uh, you know, in this supposedly yeah. serious sports thing. And it's like, we, I would like it if somebody acted like an adult and stopped capitalizing well, on the fun publicity. Like, cause I'm sure, I'm sure the NFL is like, oh, this is great. Everyone's talking about it. It's fun. You know, we're dominating the conversation again. But like, at some point, we, we stop, we don't dominate the conversation, the NFL, for anything good anymore. Like, it's well, all you've just seen stupid. The fights, you, you've seen the fights in the stands, right? Yeah. Like, I have a theory about that that maybe plays into this a little bit is um because of the way tickets are now and because the at-home product is better i think you have less people in the stadium that are there for like all eight or nine home games right like i think yeah. that's a fair fair assumption right like i have friends who have season tickets who sell a bunch of their tickets to pay for the tickets they're getting i think that is like in part a, a function of how much it costs to go to a game now yeah like that a lot of people are like i only want to go to one or two games all right now, like, let's say you're one of these people that's only going to one game. Well, then that's your big day. Sure. And maybe you're just getting lit up in the parking lot, right? And you don't have to worry about your season ticket getting taken away because you don't have one. Right. Right. <laughs> like, so, you know, I, I think it's like a number of these things kind of like there's, I, I, it is like, I, I think it, it is a little bit of like a toxic environment in some of, in some of these stadiums now, to, you it, know? If every, I mean, Walk around the concourse of a game. I mean, granted, yeah. most of the games I go to are Jets and Giants games, and they're a unique group of folks. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's not unique to just there. I mean, my God, you know. But anyway, um, that goes a, – it's a long way of We've coming back away, to saying, yeah. yeah, that I – I mean, I wrote that I don't think they're going to really do anything. I wish they would. Um, you know, maybe it's like all the other owners saying, Hey, new guy, like, here's your little yeah. slap on the wrist. Let's stop doing that. But like, God, why won't like I the fact like, that I, none I, of these I, people will just confront they, they a problem. Gonna, this is pretty cut and dry though. Like this isn't something you have to it's wait on video, to, like, which is respond. tough. Yeah. I mean, this is like, if you're going to, if they were, if, if Tepper was going to respond, wouldn't he have done it already? You know, I'd hate to be. And again, like this should piss off the other owners. It should. Shouldn't it? But it, but it does like. Because this is like, I mean, like, they already think we're all super villains. And now here you are from like an air conditioned suite doing the most drink. super villain thing ever, which is tossing a drink in someone's face while, and, and I'm not sure what the setup was in the suite, but like, he's had to have security in there, right? Right. Oh, yeah, of course. So if that guy, and he did stand up, like, I think whoever got the drink spilled on him did stand up and then, but like, you know, like the armed services are just going to swoop down and disappear that guy, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Or, yeah. Or, or and and, and look, like, again, like it plays into all the things that have made him a bad owner objectively over his first six years in the league. This is an amazing thing that I looked up when they fired Reich. Do you know, like, this next game is going to be his 99th game as the owner, right? So 99 games as the owner. 22 of those games have been presided over by an interim coach. Isn't that crazy? And you're not even it's, the, the. It's like the, more than one in five of the games since he became the owner six years ago. Have had an interim coach running it. The MLS team is bad too. I think. Oddly. Aren't they on their third coach in three years or something? Something like that. Um, all right. So whatever. But I at mean, least he put turf down in the stadium in yeah. Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, good for him. Um, so the Panthers lose twenty six. Created some sort of some sort of sculpture in uh, South Carolina. <laughs> we all love a good sculpture. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. 
or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. The big game to me, I mean, at least the statement game to me, was the Ravens just laying one on the Dolphins. And yep. what's wild, if if you go back, it was 56-19. If you go back to the, like, there was like a minute 40 left in the first quarter, and the Ravens were down 10-7. Yep. And, like, you, you have Bradley Chubb, like, chasing down Lamar Jackson on a third and 25 and forcing a punt. And then you you blink, and it's 56-19, to and Lamar Jackson scored five touchdowns. This team, this is the difference I feel like between old Ravens and new Ravens is that they can get up on you in a hurry and they now the defense is not a feature but more of a preventative measure for a team coming back and I think that makes them so much more dangerous. I think they like we talked about this last week I believe um that they play a different style of football than everybody else and they're able to take people out of their comfort zone a little bit. And, um, yeah, I don't want to make the – the way Patrick Queen put it to me when I talked to him after they beat the Niners last week was we play the, we play a kind of football that no one wants to play anymore. And there's still that service academy, like, thing to them, the option offense thing to them where it's like they're difficult to deal with because they're doing different things than everybody else. But it's more than just that now, right? Like, they – and like, I think on both sides of the ball, they were able to establish this, like we're really hard to play against thing with Greg Roman and Wink Martindale. And now Todd Munkin and Mike McDonald come in as their replacements and they, inv- they evolve that, you know? And um, it's to me, like I, I could almost, I could almost look at this and say they have the four most impressive wins of the season, just based on the way it happened, way, the way, the way, the way these wins happened. Right. Their wins over the Seahawks, Lions, Niners, and Dolphins. Because those are four good teams. They completely took those teams out of games, you know? Like to the point where in the fourth quarter, it was like 
you know, an early season college football game against a Mac school, you know, like it was just, it's, it's really, really impressive. And I think a big part of it is like just what I was talking about there, which is like, they've got an ability to take these other teams to a really uncomfortable place. They don't want to go. Right. And it's that place where they're able to take these games, which maybe is where games were 20 or 30 years ago, but they aren't there now where those other teams just seem to fold. And it'll be interesting to see if that translates to the playoffs. The Ravens were previously the preseason champions. They're now the regular season champions. We'll see if they can progress now Mm -hmm. to postseason champions um, (laughs) under John Harbaugh. But uh, you had written um, Lamar Jackson MVP. I'm totally on board with that. I mean, at this point, nothing else makes sense. Pretty easy. Um, Yeah, I think this is fairly cut and dry. It would have been a good season to get into some fun, legitimate arguments, but five total touchdowns from Jackson on Sunday puts his numbers as such where it's pretty hard to argue against who has been the best player in the NFL this year. And I think like one of the things that's really interesting about him is if you go back, if you look at it, um, he's got career lows in yards per carry and rushing yards per game. And I think that... I think that says exactly, yeah, exactly what it, what, what exactly where he is. To talk, it's, it says exactly where he is as a player, which is like you still have to defend all of it, you still have to worry about it, but they don't need to rely on it anymore, you know. And I thought what was so impressive about the way he played on 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 Sunday, like look who the touchdown passes were going to. It was Odell who he checked to a. He checked to a different route for Odell, throws it to him. That's a guy he's played with for 16 games, right? Zay Flowers, same thing. He's able to kind of recognize the coverage and get the ball there really quick. Zay Flowers, another new guy, a rookie. And then there was the touchdown pass on fourth and seven to Isaiah Likely, who is in his second year, but's in a much bigger role now, like with Mark Andrews down. I think that's the other thing that's so impressive about it is just like you got all these guys who are new, who like he's the one now assimilating all of them into what they're doing. Um, I just he's he's so impressive, you know, and his evolution's been really impressive too. And um, you know, it's scary to think that he could be he could wind up getting even better than that than 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 he is right now because he's really damn good. Yeah, um, tough for the Dolphins to lose Bradley Chubb, but also I think just to get thumped prior to having to play the Bills for the chance to win the division or to go on the road. You know, I think that's like, that's the hardest thing. And Mike McDaniel has been big on like, let's own the bad. And I I think this is probably his most difficult challenge as a head coach is going to be to get this team to lick their wounds, understand that they're not going to have their best pass rusher um, in a game against the Bills where you're absolutely going to need it. The Bills aren't on fire. They're beating bad teams um, in the Chiefs. They've struggled the last couple of weeks with the Patriots and Chargers who aren't good. Right. And so, you know, this isn't an impossible situation, but um, it is is a tough one for Miami. And and I just – I don't think – I don't think they're built to be like road dogs. You know what I mean? I think Miami, it's perfectly suited for them to host a couple of games in warm weather where they can run over people, especially from the Northeast. They got to travel down there. They're going to be hot. They're going to be exhausted. Um, But, you know, I mean, we saw them, you know, I mean, it was Skylar Thompson, but going on the road last year to Buffalo, it, you know, I don't know. It it just doesn't look right to me. I think it's like this Buffalo Miami game is really going to, and this sounds like cliche, but like it'll be a line of scrimmage game in that like 
I think you look at the Bradley Chubb loss, it compounds the fact that you've already lost Jalen Phillips. So you're, you've really got issues on the edges. And the formula to beating Josh Allen has been to create chaos for him, right? Right. And to like force him to put the Superman cape on. Well, without your two premier edge defenders, um, that's going to be a lot harder to do. And then on the other side of the ball, like I think an underrated thing about the way Buffalo has come on at the end of the year is how well their defensive line is played. Yeah. And what they're getting out of Ed Oliver now, who was massive the last couple of weeks. And now they're getting Daquan Jones back. And Greg Rousseau has been pretty good. Um, can Miami handle Buffalo's front? You know, so I think those, those are the things to watch here. And, and I do think that that's where you really feel the Chubb absence is what it's going to mean for you up front and your ability to create chaos for, for Josh Allen out there. The other big one from this weekend was Saturday, the Cowboys 20, the Lions 19. Um, hmm. You know, Dallas to me just seems to, you know, I, I have the Lions way above Dallas in my power rankings um, this week still. Or, I mean, yeah. it's like three to six or four to six or whatever it is, but they won that game. And I, to me, it's it's frustrating because. I don't see I saw the video of all the Lions players talking to the official beforehand and either the official's busy and he's not listening mm-hmm. and that's a problem or he blew it or the Lions are just fibbing about the fact that they reported, so, you know, but I they cannot have this continue to happen. And I'm putting Kadarius Tony in another bucket. That was Kadarius Tony's fault. No, that was Kadarius. That was not, that's not an officiating problem. This is an officiating problem. This is an officiating problem. This is like, um, look, like, I think it's, I I think it's like multi-layered because, you know, obviously what Detroit was doing is they're trying to create deception. Right. And they sent three linemen, three linemen left the huddle to go over to the ref. right? Right. Like, so it's, it's Dan Skipper who had been their goal line tight end in certain spots, I think. Panay Sewell, who they'd thrown the ball to before, right? right? Like they've thrown him the ball before. And then Taylor Decker. So like you're basically getting them to guess who's going to get the ball. And they were planning to throw it to the guy who, at least on paper, looked like the least likely guy to get the ball. Do you Decker, think that's right? the play that Ben Johnson was talking to the official about, by the way, before the season? I don't know if it, for those of the listeners who don't know, mm-hmm. Ben Johnson said he got an idea from for a play from an official during a joint preseason practice. And I wonder if that was it. Maybe it was it. That's a good know. call. Like that's a great callback because you, you know. Yeah. But if you hear the so the radio broadcast, so, the officiating audio is very clear, and they mm-hmm. say that it wasn't Decker. It was yeah, yeah. It was not Skipper. Decker. Yeah, it was Skipper. It was Skipper. Yeah. And so, so here's what the happened? thing about that. Here's the thing about that though. Like so, very clearly, like sending three guys over there is to create deception, right? Like and like so, like the Cowboys can't quickly say, okay, like watch. 58, I think, is Decker, well, whatever. No, that's Sewell. Sewell's 58. Decker, I think, 68. 68. Decker, 68, mm-hmm. right. So, like, they're, it's very clearly, like, to create deception. The problem is, like, so, and you could say, like, the officials screwed up and the Cowboys got lucky. The problem is the officials screwed the Cowboys, too. Right. <laughs> you know, because it's not the Cowboys' fault the official got it wrong, wrong, right? And maybe if the official had announced it correctly, they would have covered Decker. But like you're sitting there if you're Dallas and you're like, okay, they they announced 70 is eligible. The other thing that some people missed about this was the Detroit let the play clock run too. So I'm assuming, I'm assuming that's designed to give Dallas less time to react. Right. Right? You know, like so you've got all of these elements like that 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 are part of it. 
and then the official announces the wrong number and you know the the wrong number gets announced that's not fair to dallas either no right like I, like so i mean at the very least you would think in this scenario it's would this be like a i don't know would you say they should just play the down over play the down but over you- because you've screwed it up so badly now that you're right if you you've misannounced the the uh, the reporting um and you have so you've screwed dallas now if dallas doesn't cover decker mccarthy's gonna run out on the field and be like what the hell you guys told us he wasn't um you know you eligible, on the play. eligible yeah. and so the officials probably in that you know, and and this is what they've done a couple of times this year, Albert. Where they have not had to make a call based on what they're seeing on the field. They have to make a decision based on prior bad decisions that makes the most sense, right? And the most sense right. would be just to flag it and be like, "Oh, I didn't hear him." You know that they have to save their own. You know what? And my, um, my fix here and. I guess this thing so, is so tangled, but that's like a, that's like another example of how tangled up this all is. It is. You know? It's it's so. And what they need to do, and what they won't do. I mean, Sky Judge is obvious. You have someone in there, you know, because they have they could have someone that's privy to the audio and be like, hey, you know what? It's really loud. Like, wouldn't we understand that as a fan if it's just like, hey, you know what? It's really loud. Um, there's three giant humans in this official's face. He's trying to do some other stuff. He missed it. We heard mm-hmm. the audio. Let's just replay the down. And Detroit would still have a legitimate gripe because it's a surprise play and you can't just run yep. it again. Here's another tackle eligible. Don't cover him. But, you know, you at least have some measure in place. And I do think that what the NFL is missing, and I've seen this written elsewhere too, and I do think it's a good point, is like at least when we had Dean Blandino, we had someone to point to and be like, this is your fault. Like you need to fix this. And Dean would come. And even when Al Riveron was there, is Al Riveron yeah. still there? He's not no. still the head of officiating, but he no. used to do the, um, the, the show on NFL network, like on yeah. Tuesdays yep. and he yep. would come in and he would account for all the bad calls. Now there's no accountability. And I will say this, like I'm not there, but, 90% of my friends on Instagram who know what I'm doing for a living send me these like deep state NFL conspiracy theory account posts. And like they all 100% believe that the officiating is a tool now to benefit um, or to aid in the process of of success or failure with gambling companies. And it's like, I, I, I mean, thought you I don't say generate ratings, but generate rate. Know, well, yeah, that's even worse. <laughs> but like, I, I don't believe that. However, no, a lot of people do. But the door is you know? open. But the door is open. There's so much stuff. You need to and have like, someone out there that's just going to be like, hey, all right, uh, I, this well, was that's bad. The problem. You know, but they don't. I mean, like, I think it even goes down to like, I mean, the the players and the um, coaches not trusting, right? Like, if you're if you're a player or a coach and like every week, like whatever you do, you've got to stand up there and answer questions from 30 media people on it, right? Like every single time you've got to answer the questions and stand there and take the heat for whatever happened on Sunday. And then the official messes something up monumentally. And like, it's a 20, it's a 20 second conversation with a pool reporter. Like, is that equitable? It's not at all. So, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, I think the accountability is a huge issue and look like it's public trust, right? Like, and the public's trust that the games are on the level is everything. And I know it feels to me like the NFL has gotten a little bit away from that, especially like when, 
you know, like you start to get in bed with gambling companies and everything else, like then it becomes not about that. Like that was the whole reason why that's the whole reason why the NFL said it wasn't doing business with it wasn't going to do business with the gambling companies 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. It wasn't because of the law. It was like because of the integrity of the game and the public trust is so important and we have to make sure that everybody knows the games are on the level. Like that's the basis of the sport. If you can't trust what you're looking at, it, it is professional wrestling, right? It is. So, you know, like that, I think that that part of it became less important as you've injected gambling into everything. And so now it's like, well, do we really care about that? Or do we want the officials just to kind of do their job and go on their merry way? And, you know, like, yes, maybe it's a story for a day or two, but that's it. Like, I don't know. It feels like they're okay with it, you know? And it's because, been so like, constant. It's been so constant, though. There's I mean, been an officiating like controversy unless, every week. It feels like unless, unless something affects the rating, they ain't going to do shit about it. Yeah. And I hate to put it that way that bluntly, but it's like this, like, it's the ethos of the owners now. Unless something affects the bottom line negatively, like, they're going to just PR the thing, lawyer the thing, whatever they need to do, right? Like, it's just, and it's, it really hurts the product. But as long as the ratings keep rolling, I don't think they care. Probably not. Um, and and thus it happens in the Super Bowl, which I hope it does, just because you know at some point it was that's the only was, way this gets fixed. If it happens, I think that, like that you know what it was funny because I was um you know I was watching the game last night and uh, the, the the Michigan Alabama game, and uh, somebody with the team texted me. Do you, are you aware of the new overtime rules in college? No, how they go to two they go to two point conversions in the third. Overtime. Oh yes 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 yes. So somebody texted me and said. I like somebody with a team texted me and just said, I'm rooting for I'm rooting for this game to go to a third overtime just so I can watch the world melt down when they've got to decide who's going to play in a national championship game on two point conversions. Yeah. But there's like some truth to that idea, isn't there? Like you make these big decisions, but no one really cares until until it happens smacked in the face with it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, But anyway, the refs are going to, you know, they'll 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 controversially call certain calls to make sure that other big calls aren't going to decide the Super Bowl. The fix is in. I'm I'm ready. I lo- I'm loving this. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's go to the uh, Chiefs and the Bengals. My quick takeaway here is I do think that the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter could be one of those moments that sort of galvanizes the Chiefs' season. And they they stopped um, Joe Mixon on the fourth and one when the Bengals were driving deep in Kansas City yep. territory. Then you had what was important, right? A couple of big catches from Rashi Rice and Justin Watson where Patrick Mahomes threw open balls and Valdez Scantling dropped another big one in this game. But like, yep. you know, you had guys come up big in certain spots. And so like they need some of these games where people can develop some confidence in one another you know and yeah. and i think this is one of those where defense does its job as it has for a majority of the season but right. they can turn it over to the offense and the offense can start to you know generate a little bit of an impact outside of kelsey this felt like the game where they're starting to lean in a little bit into maybe what we see them become in the playoffs where pacheco got the ball a lot yes they were sort of managing the game on offense you know like they were okay kicking field goals i think it was four field goals in the second half right and then riding the defense and the defense played great down the stretch like this wasn't just like a okay the defense is a sidecar to patrick mahomes you know like this was a the defense won the game like the back-to-back sacks at the end, I think it was Karloftis and Chris Jones, right? Like where Chris Jones just roasted Ted Karras and, you know, Karloftis came off the edge, I think, the play before. Um, they were getting in the backfield. They were creating havoc. Um, you know, I know, again, that it's not Joe Burrow in there and that it's Jake Browning, and that's, you know, those are two different things. But this is like, for the most part, what the defense has shown itself be, uh, as capable of, you know, for 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 a good chunk of the year. And so I wonder, Connor, watching the game, like if like that second half is them like starting to lean into, all right, Patrick is great. Patrick's going to be able to bail us out in spots, but we can't have him putting the cape on every single play. Like, let's go ahead and lean on Pacheco a little bit and try and lean on their defense a little bit and then ride our defense to win. That's... um. You know, they were a little froggy, too, after the game. I was happy for them just kind of talking mm-hmm. their talk. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, this was as confident and as n- just not self-loathing as I've seen the Chiefs be in, in the last few weeks, So, which is fun. I mean, the NFL is better um, when the Chiefs are better. The next game I want to talk about, though, I'm going to give you a trivia question. So, so between week 14 and week 17, there have been 16 quarterbacks who have played a minimum of 150 snaps. The best quarterback in the NFL over the last four weeks has been Lamar Jackson. Second best has been Matt Stafford. Who do you think has been the third best quarterback in the NFL over the last four weeks? This has got to be like a trick. In terms of, and so the metric I'm using, I like, I like the Ben Baldwin thing. So it's completion percentage over expectation plus expected points added. Um, And it's a, it's a combination of those Um, two things. Is it Gardner Minshew? No. It's a good guess though. Um, Because I think it's got to be someone... Joe Flacco. 
Jordan Love. So, oh, all right. Jordan Big Love tough. has been playing lights out. And now the Packers are in a situation where wow, they... Wow, even better than Flacco, huh? Yeah, he's been better than Flacco. Imagine that. <laughs> Who's been better than... Um, so they have... You know, the Packers are in a situation where they can win their way into the postseason. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think... What a phenomenal... They get a, they, get, they get a froggy opponent in the Bears this week, too. I know. And I'm really like... So here's the fun flip side of that trivia question is Chicago has been the second best defense in the NFL over that time period behind only the Cleveland Browns. And so you're getting a team that's playing the best it's been. Like, I think there's a tailwind in Chicago. They're doing well. Like there's good vibes everywhere there. Justin Fields is playing well, but anyway, um, you're green Bay and you have a chance to really make this a special season, like to get Jordan love into the playoffs in his first year as a full-time starter to give him a taste yeah. of that in the postseason. I mean, that's going to be uh, spectacular. And they blew out the Vikings on, uh, and especially uh, like with that, like month long dip he had in the middle of the season. Like, I think like Matt LaFleur and Adam Stenovich and all those guys, I, I think those guys are putting on a clinic as far as developing a quarterback and sticking with the quarterback and, um, you know, like I know most teams, most coaching staffs, most front offices don't have the flexibility to sit a guy for three years. But I think like J- Jordan Love's ability to kind of ride out the highs and lows are in part because, you know, he was able to watch Aaron Rodgers for three years and watch what an NFL season looks like. And, you know, it, it's just he like, like Jordan Love looks explosive looks decisive and um and he's got this young group of skill guys coming up big around him like Jaden Reed had a huge game the other night and like you add him to like Christian Watson and um, you know Watson's been hurt but Romeo Dobbs and and Luke Musgrave and man like this team could be on to something you know if the defense can play a little bit better and I think they have the horses to play a little bit better so long as you know they don't have like issues with you know who might be captain um in certain weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. By the way, thank you for raising that last week because, um, I wasn't aware of it when you brought it up and, uh, I I, like, I I still have text groups that are talking about it. It's just, and uh, in particular, the Terminator shades, which I think you pointed out first to me. It's just the, the whole package, Jair Alexander, just (laughs) pretending to be in a, in, in like getting himself suspended for a critical game. You know, it's just that the whole thing is just awesome. But, um, you know, uh, the Packers. I like the video of him because it was just, he was so nonchalant about it. Like it was the most understandable thing in the world, what he did. It's absolutely wild. Um, so the Packers will be the number seven seed if they beat the Bears and the Rams beat the 49ers, which I would expect to happen because I think the 49ers are going to rest a lot of guys. Yeah. Or they'll be the sixth seed if they beat the Bears and the 49ers beat the Rams. So they'd technically be rooting for the 49ers. Um, but I don't know. I think this team... So in all likelihood, they have the seventh seed, which means they'll probably go to Dallas? Depending right? on... Yeah, I mean, the Eagles need a lot of help. Um, I think Dallas is probably presuming they can take care of business um, against the commanders against the commanders which not to build in too many asides on this but i think it would be the most ron rivera and mike mccarthy thing ever for the for the commanders to just blow the doors off of the cowboys in the final Fun, week farewell of the season. yeah and yeah. just uh and just peace out of there but 
I think this is a really nice season for the Packers, and I think what's super cool about this is if you throw them into the tournament, similar to the Rams, you know, yes, they're inferior from a personnel standpoint, but these are two teams that are just now figuring it out and figuring out what works for them. And I would say that I would venture to say that they're going to be a little bit dangerous just because you don't know. You, we don't really have a handle on the full breadth of what they do well right now. And so mm-hmm. I do think that they're they, I think the Rams, the Packers and the Bucks at the bottom of that NFC, one of those teams is going to just win a bunch of stupid games, you know, it's just because I feel like they can all get hot. They all have good play callers, well, you know, I mean, I don't. Like if the Bucks played the Eagles, well, you, you, um, I mean, I, we know what you think of the Eagles because you picked the Cardinals to, yeah, baby, to beat them last week, and and lo and behold, you were right. Uh, I also, <laughs> I also picked nine upsets, and I got eight of them wrong. So, you know, let's but just... the one was a good one. Yes, the one was <laughs> the one was a very it was, good it was one. great. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, like, I, like if the Bucks play the Eagles in the first round, which I think would be the matchup now, right? Um, then who would you pick? I would pick the Bucks, even though the yeah. Bucks will get to that like just absolutely late an egg this weekend, and it was so disappointing just because I yeah. thought that uh, you know they kind of had everything rolling there. But um, to put a bow in the Packers, I mean, I so I predicted the Packers would have a ten win season. Um, I don't think I'm well. I can't get there, but they can finish right. the year nine and eight. Jordan Love will be in the playoffs. Aaron Rodgers will not, and I do think that there's something. There's some comic. But you definitely comic get comic. half credit for that. Like half and, credit. And I would say, and I and I would say the Rams are, the Rams are really dangerous because the Rams, like you said, like we don't know exactly what they are, and they've got a quarterback who's got a ring, like and who's playing well, you know. And I think Stafford's like, Stafford. Look, I I think one of the more underrated storylines of the season is how like rejuvenated Stafford has looked, and um, what a what a great influence he's been on their young players and like how that's led to young guys and their offensive line. And obviously Kyron Williams and Puka Nakua emerging for them as stars, you know? Yeah. Um, so let's really impressive what the Rams have pulled off. So let's go there. 26, 25, the Rams beat the Mm -hmm. giants. And I was talking to a coach about the giants right now. And the coach was just like, (laughs) nobody wants to play them because wink Martindale is just, doing whatever you know and I, and I don't mean to I don't mean to make this sound irresponsible but like these are the games that are so good to be wink martindale because you yep. you can be irresponsible with your pressures and it doesn't matter you have five wins and yeah you want to try stuff you know you're yeah. just trying stuff and Matt Stafford got sacked four times and then if you're sacked four times you throw a couple of picks you start to get in the quarterback's head a little bit and that kind of pressure is going to get in anyone's head but then you yeah. you know you're missing extra points you're fumbling the ball and I do think that that is a more quality win for LA than we're giving it credit for at this time of year it's cross country trip Nobody yep. like Tyrod Taylor was back, you know, who and, you know, he's a professional quarterback and he made stuff happen. He made too. some stuff happen. And I'm just saying that is, you know, I because uh, the Eagles have the Giants to close out the season. Right. Yep. I don't want to play the Giants right now either, because Wink Martindale's just throwing resume tape out there right now. And he's he's <laughs> like he, he'll blitz the security guard. He doesn't care. You know, it doesn't matter. He'll try it. See if he can see if you throw a flag. You know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and I agree like that. This is a dangerous game for the Eagles, like a really dangerous because 
The other thing, like you're starting to see with the Giants is some of their young skill talent, like Robinson, like Wandale Robinson yeah. and, and, and Jalen Hyatt are starting to play well, you know? And I was talking to an executive early, earlier today about like where, where the Eagles problems are. And it's like, they've gotten really old in the back seven, mm -hmm. you know, between Bradbury, I know Slay's hurt, but you know, Bayard and Shaq Leonard, they're relying on a lot of older players on the back end of their defense. And they've gotten slow because of it. And so now you've got this giants team that's coming in there with like Robinson and Hyatt aren't finished products, but they're sticks to dynamite, you know, as players, you know, like they can, they can go 50 in a blink, you know? So this is like a really, really dangerous game for the Eagles. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that it means much for the Giants to win games like this. But, you know, I certainly do look at like where they were in the middle of the year. And like, it's just a real validation of Brian Dable's program that they're that they were able to in what was a lost year after making the playoffs last year, um, get themselves in a position where they're competitive every week down the stretch, whether DeVito is their quarterback or Tyrod's their quarterback. I will tell everybody, here's one thing that I would rewind and look for in that game. So the you know, the Giants just were throwing haymakers at the Rams. And so there was a couple plays where they brought Puka Nakua in as almost like an up back on a punt to sort of contain mm -hmm. some of the interior pressure. That guy rocks people. Like just oh, yeah. watch him mm -hmm. hit people. And it is so crazy that he plays wide receiver. And I love I it. I had someone I had someone compare him to Anquan Bolton, and I kind of like that. It's it's like, you know who um, he? I have not like. He's so strong. He's just physically strong. I know. There's so there's so few really good skill position pass protectors, and Puka is not really a pass protector, but they're using him that way because he's so physical, and you can play Puka and Cooper like tight ends. And yep. so, gosh, I mean, but that's part of the reason. Like, I don't know when the Rams get in the playoffs, who the hell knows what they're gonna do. And I like that. And I think that Sunday was a nice little example of them overcoming adversity. Um, Giants are a little bit better than we thought they were. I have two more games that I want to talk about before we get into the lightning round. And we'll, and we'll go fast here. Eagles, Cardinals. I, you know, so yes, I predicted the Cardinals were going to win, but Take I, but I also, uh, <laughs> um, so let's just pull up the MMQB staff picks. Um, just so I'm not taking credit for, I, I meant, and you know, you could say, yeah, sure, pal. Um, I meant this pick because the you know I I told people this um, I think I have it somewhere in one of our Slack channels so I can I can post it to the public if they uh, you know because the public's trust is important to me but um, I said Jonathan Gannon knows Jalen Hurts better than anybody else the Eagles staff was super collaborative when Shane Steichen yep. and Jonathan Gannon were there and Shane would go to Steichen and or Gannon would and Steichen would talk and Steichen would talk to all of his defensive guys and you would say hey, what would really annoy you as a defensive coordinator? And if I do this, what are you going to do? And then if I do this, what are you going to do? And so Jonathan Gannon knows five thought levels ahead of what Jalen Hurts likes and is comfortable with, and he's mm -hmm. going to be able to throw him a couple curveballs. And you couple in the fact that he's got guys like James Conner who are coming out there and they're ready to play. I thought that scream trap game... The problem for me right now, if you're Philly, is you have to break out of this sleepwalk at some point, and mm -hmm. the seating is out of your control as you head into that last game. And if you're Sirianni, this is like a real big, it's sort of a real big gut check moment for you because you could rest the players and you could sit them down and you could be like, listen, 
use this to get your head right and we're going right. to be okay. Or you have to say that we need to work our way out of this funk. And I guess that's what's nice about having Fletcher Cox and Jason Kelsey. They'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you what they want to do. But I don't know. I mean, this is just a disaster. And before you respond, I will just say, so here are my ups. <laughs> so I picked the Jets to beat the Browns. I picked the Lions to beat the Cowboys. I picked the Dolphins to beat the Ravens. I picked the Patriots to beat the Bills. <laughs> I picked the... um. I picked the Raiders to beat the Colts. I picked the Panthers to beat the Jaguars. I picked, oh, the Panthers. <laughs> I picked the Titans to beat the Texans. Uh, and I picked the Giants to beat the Rams. Um, and I was the only one who picked the Steelers. You were close on a couple of them. But I, and I also picked the Steelers to beat the Seahawks. So I, I nailed that one. But um, yeah, so I because I'm so far behind right now mm-hmm. that I need to pick the opposite of everyone else. And right. I needed to hit it two weeks in a row in order to yeah. come back and win. Because, you know. Who cares if I finish in last place? That yeah, um, the yeah the Sirianni decision is going to be interesting. It's like in but like in one sense you're right, like because they're aging and because they've got like so many older players. It's like, do you want to give those guys the week to get their legs back before the playoffs? But like, what good memory do those guys have to pull on? Right, right. Like where it was like they were the team that they envisioned being before the year. I mean, you have a bad loss to the Cardinals, a loss to Seattle that wasn't the most horrible thing in the world, but you lose it in heartbreaking fashion. And they got blown out by the Niners and Cowboys, right? And then in there, you got the win on Christmas over the Giants, which wasn't exactly the most impressive thing in the world. So you almost have to go back to those wins over the Chiefs and Bills, which were on the Monday and Sunday um, bookending Thanksgiving. Yeah. So like there is that part of it. Like, do you do you need to give the team a good feeling and some confidence and something to draw back on when they get to the playoffs now? Or for your Fletcher Cox, your Jason Kelsey, your Lane Johnson, your Darius Slay, your Kevin Byard, um, do you do those guys need more of a blow? But Brandon Graham, do those guys just need to get their legs back? Um, I, I think you're right. I think this is where you go to those older guys and you say, What does this team need right now? You know what I would do? Because cl- do you want to do you want to hear yeah. my wild card theory? Go ahead. Okay, I sign playing for a half. No, you sign a bunch of random, like, um, like fringe, like former Pro Bowl people who are like announcing and want to get back into it or whatever. You know, like Richard Sherman. Like you sign a Greg bunch Olson. of those people and you just populate the roster with like you cut like four or five guys that you can cut. And, uh, you know, cause we, we treat this like we're, uh, the jets and we don't care about, you know, people having just, spots. just hire the Amazon set. Yeah. Just hire the Amazon set, let them play. Maybe one or two of them still got a little bit of a Andrew Whitworth looks good. He lost too hey, much weight. I'm not doubting fits. No. Yeah. Like let them, let them go nuts. Um, people want to watch it. It's fun. And okay. What if Sherm's got a step still? And then you take him with you in the playoffs. Like what, you know, you, you say, Hey, this is an audition fellas, you know? Like who wants to come aboard the Super Bowl train and and be the hero? And that way you get the guys get a rest too, and they get to enjoy it. Kind of like it. It's like, like it's like it's like taking the team to go play paintball. Um, yeah. <laughs> except you're just watching recently, or laser tag or laser yeah. tag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other one was the Steelers and the Seahawks. So um, I just got hot with this game because I was down uh, five points in my fantasy football championship, and I had Tyler Lockett, and he had no players left. I. Yeah. I thought the hay was in the barn. And then Geno Smith so proceeds to, between Tyler Lockett and ja- Jackson Smith and Jigba, 
two catches, 23 yards, and a touchdown to Smith and Jacob. Yeah, I'm looking but, at like, it now. Metcalf, Fant, Charbonnet, that's where he was going. I think, I mean, you're at home. That, that Like, I'm just sorry. That's a game where you can't get out coached, you can't get out schemed, yep. and Seattle did. I mean, and that, you know, you are essentially working your way out of the playoffs, and that's a bummer because this team was so talented. Um, yeah. Here's my question, though. Like, if you're a Steeler fan, is this good? I mean, it's too late for it to, like... You know what I mean? It's too late for it not to be good. Like, do there need to be bigger changes in Pittsburgh? Yes, but it's, and, it's too late. like, something like this could prevent it. Right. You know, like, I mean, Mason Rudolph playing this well, does that mean <laughs> does you're help? looking for a quarterback in March and April? You know what I mean? For sure. And then... George Pickens playing this well, does that mean you're relying on him when maybe you shouldn't, like over a longer period of time? Yeah. And the the offense is starting to play well. Well, does that mean you stick with the guys you've got or do you go outside the organization still to go find somebody? So that's like what's fascinating is like I don't think the Steelers have the capacity to make much noise in the playoffs. So what becomes of this little run now, like of them being able to get their stuff together and get in the playoffs? Like, I don't know that it's necessarily the best thing for the team long term, you know? It's not. But, you know, if you have Mike Tomlin, this is kind of what it's going to be. And, you know, you have to, if you're Omar Khan, you have to sell them on, hey, let's trade our entire draft one year and go and get Drake May or Caleb Williams. Like, we have to get more dynamic players. And And, by virtue of them being probably win Sunday, too, because, I mean, my guess is John Harbaugh decides to sit down a bunch of his guys. Right. And then you need to win and you need the Dolphins to beat Buffalo, or you need Tennessee to beat the Jaguars, which I actually think the le- the second is more likely. I think the Titans do beat the Jaguars, just because that's such a Vrabel thing to do. You know, what does it matter to him to be five and eleven, or uh, you know, five and twelve, or six and eleven? Doesn't matter. You know, right. they're right. they're going to go out there and they're going to just be wild because they and can the, be. And the Jaguars have obviously been, they, they got it together on Sunday against the worst team in the league. They've been kind of rickety though. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, yes, I think that Steelers could back in, whereas the Seahawks need to win and they need Green Bay to lose or to tie. Um, or actually, Albert, if the Seahawks tie and Green Bay loses and I still Tampa like the ties. Maybe I'm a prisoner of my own predictions, but I still really like the Seahawks team. Like I think the rosters and a good place, you know. Cut Jamal Adams, like, and I, I think you got something. Yeah. Get him out of there. <laughs> yeah, bad. That's right. Bad for everybody. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith 
When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Let's lightning round this thing. Um, I have just uh, some very quick thoughts on the rest of these games, and we'll start from the top here of my list. And uh, Broncos Chargers, uh, yeah, whatever. 224 yards and a touchdown for Jared Stidham. Broncos aren't in the playoffs. Uh, so, But I do think they played slightly better than... I would have given them credit for. I picked them yep. to win five games this year. They will at minimum win eight games. They have accomplished what they need to accomplish, which is to rip the Band-Aid off the Russell Wilson situation mm-hmm. and get him out of there. So I think this is ideal for I think this is actually ideal for Sean Payton because he has some good positive momentum in the organization and making them a lot more competitive than they were last year. And he comes out of it with a clean slate at quarterback. Yeah. You know? So like I do think like this puts them in a position now to reset a little bit. It's almost like Sean McDermott in 2017 in Buffalo where the roster needed a lot of work, but he won that first year, you know, yeah. and they made the playoffs for the first time in 18 years. It kind of set the table for everything. I think that's sort of where the, where the Broncos are. Texans Titans 26, three. It's amazing to me what Houston's offense looks like with CJ Stroud back. And there was a, like they had been running a lot of play action concepts and then they give the ball to De- Devin Singletary once. And there, uh, there was one play in particular, like it might've been his longest carry. There mm-hmm. wasn't anybody within eight yards of him. And I think that that is going to be kind of the next frontier for Houston where their run game is so under-respected that they could go out and gash somebody in the playoffs. Cause they do have the outside zone, uh, yeah. structure built in like you know if they stumble into the you know if they stumble into this tournament you know I could see them just it's, throwing up some wacky game where dude, they rush for 250 yards it's you know like, like the other thing is too it's like you look at the Texans and they are the they are the blueprint for the team that's gonna make it hard on everybody else now you know what I mean because and, and I mean that like in people's job security yep because it's like well, D'Amico Ryans did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and now it's like, but I, I, that's what gets me about it. Like how quickly that thing is flipped. You know what I mean? Like where now this is like, I don't think you could name five teams in the league that have a brighter future than they do. Yeah. Could you? Because I thought of this when I was thinking about when you were talking, like what a great game Will Anderson had and how like, wow, like Will Anderson looks like a, you know, not doesn't have the same value as CJ Stroud has the offense, but like the same sort of thing, like a guy you can build around on that side of the ball. Like he's emerging as that now. And, you know, CJ comes back and plays like he did. And then you add it to like having a young head coach who has ties to the organization, like D'Amico does. Can you name like how many teams out, how many teams in the league would you trade? If you were the Texans, how many teams in the league would you trade situations with? Probably not many, right? Um, that's actually an interesting question. Let me look. Um, so 
I would not. I, mean, I think they've got like a great situation. It's I, like unbelievable. No one in the AFC East. Uh, I guess maybe the Chiefs. Um, maybe. Just because they have Mahomes. They have Mahomes. And, um, and Andy, yeah. Maybe the Ravens, but I don't know. Uh, definitely not anyone in, else in the AFC South. Um, point taken. Um, yes. Isn't it crazy, though? The 49ers. Like, if I had told you that, yeah, the 49ers, if I had told you that, though, that the list would be that short sure. five months ago, you would have laughed in my face. Probably, yeah. It's insane. Like, it's just, like, how quickly that whole thing's turned. It's, um, you know, I I think Nick Casario gets credit. I think D'Amico Ryans gets credit. I think C.J. Stroud gets a lot of credit. Like, they, um, I would, if I was a Texans fan, I'd be fired up about the offseason now, you know? Like, you got cap space. You got a young quarterback. You're going to be able to attract people there. People are going to want to play for D'Amico. It's an awesome situation. 49ers 27, Commanders 10. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, kind of just went the way workman-like. we thought it was going to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah workman-like, workman-like. I would say workman-like bounce back for the Niners, right? Yeah. Like, we leave it at that. Yeah. Saints, Bucks. No, I mean, like, I think it's, I think it's like, we, the Niners are what we thought they were. And the Ravens lost, bad as that one, one was for them, um, doesn't change that. Yeah. Um, Saints 23 bucks, 13, such a bummer. Um, I thought Baker Mayfield just played a little out of character in this game. Like he, um, he had the bad 50, 50 ball pick and Dave Canales has done such a good job there. Like providing him with answers on every play. And I think he just went a little out of structure and the Saints when, when Derek Carr is rolling, um, which I don't really think is going to happen until Pete Carmichael leaves truly on a consistent basis. Um, they can get up on you. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a professional quarterback. He's, you know, I, I said, he's, um, he's, he's, uh, buying Derek Carr is like buying the Andy Dalton, uh, model, but getting leather seats, you know, it's, it's like putting leather seats in your Andy Dalton. Um, and, but I, I think that, I think that they will absolutely move on from Pete Carmichael. I think they're going to hire an OC with ties to Derek Carr who mm-hmm. uh, will get the best out of him and make him feel wanted. I think it's a mess right there with just kind of, you know, everything. But I think bring in like Todd Downing, you're saying, or someone like that. Todd Downing. I mean, I'm not saying John, Bill Musgrave, John Gruden, but like, you know. Uh, or, you know, like there are a bunch of guys, like if you go to, um, that'd be funny if like Gruden was their OC next year, boy, I don't know. There's pics of him in saints gear, which, yeah, well he has been there. He has been there. He, yeah. Like I, I, they're, they're an exciting team. Like I think that they're like the saints have a chance with a few moves in the off season. I think to, you know, you look at like their skill talent, like car can still play a little bit. Like I actually think like, Watching the Saints and Bucks on Sunday, like these are two like relatively entertaining teams that like have sort of become forgotten and lost in this year, season. But um, you know, like I think both of them, both of them, like have had flashes where I don't know. Like I, I think we looked at maybe a month ago, two months ago, is like the NFC East runner-up was going to just bludgeon whoever comes out of that division in the first round, and that's not so much the case anymore. Colts twenty-three, Raiders twenty. Um, I don't know. I, I hope that. I think that it makes sense if you're Mark Davis for Antonio Pierce to hold on to this job because mm-hmm. you're still paying two other head coaches or are you paying Gruden still or was the firing for cause so you don't have to? Well, I think part yeah, of that's wrapped that's up in the lawsuit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're still paying Josh McDaniels. Um, 
And so I think you hold on to Antonio Pierce, you let the smoke clear, and you let him deal with because you're not going to be picking very high. You're yeah. still going to struggle with the quarterback situation. You're probably going to lose Devonte Adams. Let him handle it. Um, and well, I mean, certainly, like I think it helps uh, Pierce that um, you know I think Mark Davis has a little regret over a couple of years ago Rich not Bisaccia. at least running it back for a year with Rich Bisaccia. Um, what I have heard is that like Davis might have a big swing in him. Now I don't know what that swing would be, Arball. but. The, yeah, that Mark Davis may have a swing in him. And if that swing doesn't connect, then um, Belichick, um, that swing doesn't Ooh. connect, then. Uh, Would you hire then, Belichick after you fired Josh McDaniels? Like, well, little known fact, like Al Davis almost hired Bill Belichick oh. in like 1998 when he first hired Gruden. And I know Bill has talked about that in the past. And what he said was, he said to Al, because he and Al were really friendly. He said to Al, well, you know, Al, you're the defensive coordinator here, so why do you want to hire a defensive coach? <laughs> and that was actually, like, crazy as that sounds, for people who don't know, like, there was actually some truth to that. <laughs> like, like Al Davis would always hire offensive-minded head coaches, and he would more or less be the defensive coordinator. So awesome. That's that's yep. what you head, do. Headset in, the, headset in the owner's box. Yeah, I own the team. I'll do whatever I want. Um, yep. Nice job by the Colts, though, I thought, this weekend. Shane Steichen is just – he's great. And the you know what yep. I noticed, too, was just mixing, future. mixing up the tempo of that game and just allowing Gardner Minshew to go no huddle. It's so wild that it just works. And then you know the run game is working with Taylor now, 96 yards and a touchdown. Um, Bears-Falcons, 37-17. We had a snow game, which was very aesthetically pleasing. I thought that was uh, really beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. I saw NFL Network reporting that Eberflus is coming back. I had heard probably a couple weeks before that that there was no doubt that the front office was coming back. I thought that yeah. he was probably on the fence. I think he played his way into another year um, mm-hmm. of coaching that team, which is good for him. I really do think he's a good coach. Yeah, they I- they buttoned some stuff up down the stretch. That defense especially those line you know um uh, especially you know part of that linebacking core has been really good montez sweat's been excellent yeah and i think like you know kevin warren is sort of the wild card here um the team president for those who don't know the former commissioner of the big 10 who also um used to work for the vikings uh he remains the wild card here i would say but yeah it definitely feels like it's trending towards both those guys keeping their jobs and they should i mean like honestly like if we look back at this i think i may have brought this up to you last week connor but like if you had told me in the spring of 2022 okay year one is our cap clean out right like where we take on dead cap and we start to build draft capital and we just clean out the roster and then year two, we're going to struggle for the first half of the year. And then we're going to come on and win a bunch of games and look really good on defense. And the young quarterback's going to start playing better at the end of year two. Would you have signed up for that? Probably, right? Sure. Like, if you look at it for, like, what it's been over the last two years, like, and I know, like, people get it in their head because they fired Eberflus in October, right? Like, some people in their head had that this was going to be, like, total change. and Jim Harbaugh or whoever else is going to come in there in October, but you know, like in letting this thing play out, um, you know, especially like the way they were able to come out of the Allen Williams thing and everything else, like in letting this thing play out, I think you found out a little bit more about who Matt Eberflus is as a coach and you want a third year with him. I agree. Um, we have the Patriots and the bills. I mean, at this point, just like, tell us who, tell us what Bill Belichick's doing. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> you know, they, they did, you know, it was 21 to 27, um, they, they played him. They haven't quit on him. 
Yeah, I think uh, someone asked Belichick about uh, the meaning of the players playing tough down the stretch, and he got pretty spicy with a uh, yeah. with a poor reporter from New Hampshire today. I want to say, which sorry about that guy. Yeah. Um, Jets Browns Browns thirty seven Jets twenty uh, Flacco. Uh, Flacco, Flacco, Flacco. This was the month of Flacco. I'm now curious because when we have these hot stretches of quarterbacks, it's always a month. And defensive coordinators like to have four games of sample size when they look back at a quarterback, oh. right? So now we have five of Flacco. Is he? Does he fall into that category of those little one-year wonder guys? Or is does his library of experience make him like oh it's like matt stafford like he just knows what he's doing and he could come out and rip three touchdowns any week you know i i don't know and that's what's going to be kind of fun about joe flacco coming up here these next few weeks is we don't know if he turns back into a pumpkin because he's well rested and i mean he's won a super bowl he's a good quarterback yeah i just i just did this and i just thought about this in my head like you brought up those two and i hadn't thought of it in that context but Flacco was only one draft class ahead of of uh, of Stafford. Right now, Stafford was a three year guy in college, and Flacco was a five year guy. So Flacco is probably three years older. But um, yeah, I mean, I think like what like he looks so in control, and like with like he's got great knowledge of what he's doing out there. And I think like you know Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt and all those guys deserve credit for it too. But it feels like it just gets more ridiculous every week, right? Like, so they were doing this with their fourth and fifth tackles and without Nick Chubb before. And oh yeah, by the way, on Thursday night, they did it without Amari Cooper or Elijah Moore. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's still, I, I think it was, um, was it the Jets hadn't been thrown on in, for hadn't had, uh, hadn't allowed a 300 yard passer in 33 games. And Flacco was at like 296 at the half. Yeah. He passed for seven yards, I think in the second <laughs> half, which is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but this is, uh, the NFL is peak bizarre world and Joe Flacco is fulfilling our prophecy from a few weeks ago and contending for a Super Bowl, which is, this is what we wanted. This is what we expected going into it. It's what we asked for. It's what we asked for. Um, Albert, thank you as always. And we will be back now that the Christmas and the New Year's, which I hope if you celebrated, you guys all had an awesome time. We'll be back on our normal schedule here, and we'll be rocking and rolling through the playoffs. Be sure to tune in Thursday, as always, for Matt and Gilberto. They've been doing a great job. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys always for everything, and we'll see you next week. Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.